Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today is the authority that resides in the different roles of the government acquisition team members. This podcast is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Check out skywayacq.com to learn more. And let's get started. I think I've lost track. Maybe I've never tracked. How, how many times have we said only the contracting officer can award, change, modify, it, issue direction for government contracts? Uh, many times. <laughs> it's not worth tracking. It's been too many times. <laughs> the question is, if this is true, how true is it? Yeah, it seems like there's a whole lot of people involved in the government acquisition world that that appear to change things or modify things or issue direction all the time. Before we get into that, again, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Drew Nations. Drew is the director of sales at Floor for their mission solutions division. He's in the Greenville, South Carolina area. I want to thank Drew for sharing our recent CPARS episode on LinkedIn. In, in, in addition to sharing it, Drew took the time to explain how he found our podcast, how he uses the episodes, and even how he takes notes on his iPhone. <laughs> and getting direct feedback from folks like Drew helps us to reach more people and understand how they use our content to help us make government contracting better one contract at a time. Thanks, Drew. All right, back to contracting officer authority. We'll start right with the FAR. Where in the FAR does it say the contracting officer is the only person who can establish or, or change a government contract? It's FAR 1.602, called Authority. And subparagraph A of 1.602 says contracting officers have authority to enter into, administer, or terminate contracts and make related determinations and findings. Contracting officers may bind the government only to the extent of the authority delegated to them. Most of you probably already knew that. (laughs) We've used that far reference a couple of times. You hear that all the time. But why is it that only contracting officers can bind the government? Well, the first reason is we're spending someone else's money, right? Imagine you work in an organization that have a procurement department. They exist for the same reason. Most organizations have a procurement department because it's the company's money that they're spending. They need to make sure that their bumper's in place to make sure it's being spent on the right things that are approved, et cetera. Yeah, you may have a company credit card that allows you to buy office supplies or, or other small things up to a certain limit, but for, for large buys for, for companies... There's usually a procurement department or a procurement person that has the actual authority to spend that money. They don't just let everybody in the company say, hey, I'm going to buy a new desk. There's a process. Yeah. Well, speaking of process, there's a next layer to this because not only are we spending somebody else's money in the context of what the contracting officer is doing, they're spending our money, our taxpayer money. And the contracting officer is responsible for managing not only the spend, but the rules, the process, and the, and the regulations around each purchase. The second subparagraph of FAR 1.602, subparagraph B, says no contract shall be entered into unless the contracting officer ensures that all requirements of law, executive orders, regulations, and all other applicable, applicable good word, procedures, including clearances and approvals, have been met. So not only is the contracting officer the only person that can spend the money, but because it's taxpayer money, 
We have to follow all the rules that govern spending taxpayer money. You can't expect every person on the government acquisition team to understand all those rules and follow them. So they have a specialized person, the contracting officer, whose job it is to understand that and enforce the rules, make sure everything is in shape before a signature is put on the contract. Why are we talking about the the contracting officer's authority and, and the contracting officer is the only person that can bind the government? We talk about the the three deciders, the three groups of people who have a say in what company gets a contract or what organization gets a contract, right? Economic decider, we've talked about this in episode 118. Economic decider is funding it. The customer is defining what, what they need. The contracting officer is the one who's responsible for putting the contract together. They're one of the three. That is their role. As you just talked through in the FAR, that's where the role is defined. But you need to be able to have all three people involved. The person with the money, person with the requirement, and the person that can award the contract. If you don't have all three, you can't execute a contract. Well, the contracting officer's role out of the three is the one that doesn't have the money, doesn't have the requirement, but they have the pen to actually sign the contract or to modify the contract or to terminate the contract. All three deciders have a part leading up to contract award, but it's not just about awarding the contract. It's pretty clear and easy to understand that the contracting officer is the only one that can award a contract, but the contracting officer's authority to bind the government matters as much after award as before. Most of our examples of of helping our customers navigate this authority, this contracting officer authority, is for stuff that happens after contract award. And we often refer to this as post-award as, as, a, a pair, as compared to pre-award. That's the stuff that happens before the contract is awarded. And the other lingo we use is, of course, is acquisition time zones is pre-award, execution time zones is post-award. It's all the stuff that happens after you got the contract. In the execution time zones, a lot more people are involved that, that appear to have authority. And, and some authority may be delegated. Like the government program manager or Sometimes that's the the contracting officer's representative or the contracting officer's technical representative, the core or COTAR. Sometimes there's a government program manager and a, a core or COTAR. They appear to have a lot of authority and and can have some official authority, but that authority to bind the government does not extend to changes in scope, schedule, or the, the price, the, the cost of the contract. When we talked about some of those specific roles that a contracting officer's representative has in episode 271. I think it was called, what is a core? What is a COTAR? Correct. Yeah. I think it's more challenging post-award in the execution time zones for contractors to, to navigate the challenges of contracting officer authority because there are a lot more people involved, like we just talked about. Because this has been an issue, <laughs> I'm sure the FAR <laughs> spells this out, and there there are clauses that that specify who has authority to do what. Throughout the FAR, there are other examples where it, it's specified that only the contracting officer has the authority. In, in in case you didn't understand that back in, in part one, where it says only the contracting <laughs> officer has authority. For example, FAR 43.202 is authority to issue change orders. FAR Part 43 is contract modifications. It's a whole part of the FAR just about modifying contracts. 43.202 says change orders shall be issued by the contracting officer. It's it's just telling you right up front. Again, in case you missed it, only the contracting officer can change this. There's other examples 
that may not seem like a contract change, but FAR 45.301 is authorizing rent-free use of government property. If you're building something for the government, they may loan you some tooling, for example, that, that they already own. The government may loan the contractor tooling so the contractor doesn't have to go out and buy special stuff just to perform on this contract. Well, only the contracting officer can actually authorize that to happen. And a funny example of how far behind the times the, the FAR can get if we, we don't update it regularly, FAR 14.202-7 is facsimile bids. Unless prohibited or otherwise restricted by agency procedures, contracting officers may authorize facsimile bids. So only the contracting officer can authorize you to fax in your proposal. That's really not even worth having in the farm, for sure. I think it's funny. Unless prohibited or otherwise restricted. It's actually otherwise restricted because nobody has a fax machine anymore, right? (laughs) You have a fax machine in the office to actually receive said fax. That's funny. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, that's that's a rabbit trail. Moving on. I think think the medical industry is the only place where fax still exists, and I don't understand why. All right, I'm going to tell a story. This is sort of how, how we got to talking about this today. A contractor won an award from a Department of Defense agency to, to build a system. It's not super complicated, but they went out and they bought all the materials to build the system. Once they started putting it together, the contracting officer's representative said, hey, this little gizmo in here, I don't, I don't really like the way that's working. Let's, let's put these other gizmos in there instead. So the contractor went out and bought all the parts and said, okay, it's going to be, let's just say, $50,000 more to put these parts in there. At which point, the contracting officer's representative said, uh-oh, let me go talk to the contracting officer. The contracting officer said, we don't have that money. You better hold off. So six months later, the contractor's warehouse is still filled with a half-built system and two different sets of gizmos that they've already paid for and they don't know which to install. And the government team is going back and looking for money because they didn't have money set aside for that change. Now, there's all kinds of depth. There's layers to that that I don't want to try to describe on a podcast. But let me flip this to my traditional story of imagine that you want to put a deck on the back of your house. Again, (laughs) we're back to the deck. So in this case, you are the government and you've hired a contractor to build you a deck and nice big deck. And it's all, it's all painted brown and, and all the railings are painted brown beautifully to, to match the, 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 the stained wood flooring. While the contractor's working on it, your 14 year old son says, Hey, I think you should paint the railings white, paint these white. So the contractor goes out and, and buys the white paint. He's, he's listening to the customer. Listening to the customer. So if you, if you stretch this analogy to, does your 14-year-old son have the authority to direct the contractor? Should the contractor listen to your 14-year-old son? Well, they, they might think they will. What happens here is the contractor's trying to make the customer happy. But when you get home, you tell your kid, who's going to pay for this extra paint? The, the contractor's now asking us, for $200 for, for white paint. They had already bought the brown paint f- for this. Who's going to pay for this? So, so now does your kid have to like mow a lot of grass or something to make, make money to, to pay for it? Or do you have to go back and get it out of your pocket, right? 
And, and on the contractor side, it's just as complicated because the job supervisor who went out and, and bought the white paint because he thought he had direction now has to go back to the supervisor, the owner of the company and say, Hey, I spent an extra $200 on this job, even though now the customer is saying the kid didn't have an authority to make that change and they don't want to pay for it. So now we're out $200. So both sides are frustrated because someone with apparent authority, a, a, a customer, a employee or child, well, I'm really getting stretched here. Someone with apparent authority <laughs> issued a change and the contractor trying to make them happy rolled forward before they got official direction. And just like the government acquisition world, there's a change order process. If you decide after a job has been quoted and agreed to and, and the work is being performed, if you decide you want something changed, a simple piece of paper, a simple email, simple documented communication of, I want you to make this change. It will cost this much. I will pay for it is all it takes. But it has to be by someone with the authority to make the change and authority to accept the change on both sides. On top of that, another another wrinkle to this from, from the contractor perspective, going back to your 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 uh, story about the government contract where they, they have two sets of parts. On top of all this other stuff, now there's a the cost of storing the parts. I mean, in the painting story, the cost of storing the brown paint that they didn't use, okay, that's not really that's not as big of a deal. But at scale it might be. Well, in this in this story where they're building something, what if it's like a, a large item the size of a car that now is sitting in the corner of their building? And the reason this is a story for me is I've been to contractor facilities and there's stuff all over the place. And you're, what's that for? And th this is where I got the story. They said, yeah, that was from a contract that they changed out what they wanted. And now we just got it here. Yeah. What do they do with it? That's exactly the case in my story. Their warehouse is full of, of these systems that were supposed to be delivered months ago. And if you flip that over to the deck story, what if this team that was building the deck had another job that was supposed to start on Monday? Yep. And now it's it's taken three days to work out this problem. And the team is now late starting the next job. So the next customer is unhappy, right? This stuff compounds. And all because my 14-year-old son wanted white railings. Right. <laughs> Funny right. how that, yeah, it, it, that's how it happens. That is how it happens. No one's trying to do the wrong thing, but it gets all tangled up. And now no one's happy with the situation. Okay, Kevin, we've already mentioned that we're talking execution time zones here after the contract has been awarded. And what we're primarily talking about is the performance zone. When the work is being done, the contracting officer's authority actually covers all of the acquisition and execution time zones. But what we're talking about here is post-award contract changes and who has the authority to authorize them. And if you're not familiar with the execution time zones, we cover those in episode number 84. All right, specifically government side not understanding the contracting officer's authority it's poor communication that leads to as we just described in those stories more work for both sides and it may not just be poor communication the communication may be clear just with not with the right authority so it's not poor as in i didn't understand the words you said i understood them directly it's poor communication because i didn't have the authority to communicate that to you yeah it's like <laughs> it's, it's crystal clear what i'm supposed to do i'm just doing it wrong Doing it for the wrong reasons because the wrong person yeah, exactly. told me to. When that happens, it's called an unauthorized commitment for the government. And there's a lot that goes into unauthorized commitments that we cover in a separate episode. And the way they fix it is through what's called a ratification. And that's even more complicated and has its own episode. We covered the unauthorized commitment. That episode you referred to is episode number 56. 
it's very easy to avoid these issues or even fix it before it becomes a problem. Get the contracting officer involved. If you think you've given the contractor direction that that may be a change to the contract, all you have to do is go back to the contracting officer and say, here's what I want to do. Can you officially authorize it? And they either will or they'll say, oh, no, we need to get go get more money or we need to get some other authority in order to do that. But get the contracting officer involved is the key and do it before it becomes a problem. Operating outside of the contracting officer authority really gets in the way of the customer getting what they want because you end up with these sideways activities we just talked about. Yeah. Which impacts the mission, which is the whole point of the contract in the first place. Yeah, that's why we're doing this. It's it's for the mission. From the industry side, it's not just about the mission. I mean, they're there to support the mission, of course, but you could have a real financial problem, or like you said, a warehouse full of cars that that are waiting for the change order to officially be issued so you can do something with them. And that's preventing you from doing other work. And not all contracts are, are ratified. They, the government, may not be able to actually fix this problem because they might not have money, like in that story you told. Yeah. When you say not all contracts, not all contract changes, not all unauthorized yes, sure changes enough. can be ratified. The government customer may not have the money to do it. Or they may not; it may not be within their authority to to fix it. So you may, you as an industry, may spend money based on perceived authority to do it that you can never get paid for because the government can't authorize it. Yeah, we're helping a Skyway customer with this with this problem now, where it's a creeping requirement that's built up over a couple of years because the the contracting officer's representative asked for an additional piece of work. It was small. Stack it up over three years. It's now become a, a large increase in work. The government perceived the extra report was a small change. In other words, not even having a cost to it. The contractor, which is that's our customer, knew that it would take them longer, but they didn't want to rock the boat. They, they thought, you know, this is a small change. Okay, whatever. Well, now, three years later, it's a six-figure claim. It's it's stacked up. And, and, and the thing is, that sucks for both sides. Because you know, our customer is trying to decide if they want to file this claim, which is going to irritate the government customer because they effectively have to use this year money to pay for something that happened over the last three years. But our point is, you know, don't wait this long. <laughs> have a five-minute conversation when this first comes up and say, this is a change. And like you said, Paul, it's just an email to the contracting officer saying, I'm going to do this. It's going to cost an extra hour a month. Can we move forward? I mean, our team of COs is working through options to help them in this case to best fix this problem. My point is all this started because they didn't think it would be a big deal to get a little extra money later from the government. And from the government folks' side, this is a lot of paperwork. This is a lot of of extra non, non-productive work to solve a problem that was created because of that, that simple email, that simple phone call wasn't made years ago. And it's great if they're able to fix it. I, I, I love that, but someone's going to get at, at – at best, get their hand slapped for going beyond their authority. But I've seen government contracting officer representatives lose their job because of unauthorized commitments, because of, of telling the contractor to do something that, that couldn't be paid for later, couldn't be fixed. Lose your job over. Ouch. So, so prevention is better than trying to fix it later. It, yeah, always that's, cheaper, that's always easier, stuff. right? Only you can prevent Unauthorized commitments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Only, there's, there's a podcast title in there. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up, Kevin. Only, only you can prevent us talking for 45 minutes.
on the government side, educate your government customer on how their their comments, the things that they direct the contractor can be implied direction. When a, when the contracting officer representative says, hey, go do this, that can be implied direction. Make sure your, your, your team that you're supporting, your government customer understands that. And make sure they know only formal direction can come from you as a contracting officer. And not just because you're an egomaniac, it's because that's your role in the three deciders. It's how you provide formal direction to the contractor so they're covered and they don't send us a claim three years from now. Yeah. Also, government folks, educate your contractors. Remind them that only you as the contracting officer can provide formal direction. Make sure they understand what the core or COTAR can and can't do. They can't change scope, schedule, or the the cost or price. This is especially important with small businesses or new entrants to the government market who who may not understand what the roles are and what the authorities are. So industry folks, make sure you understand that. If you are a small business or a new entrant, (laughs) make sure you know who the contracting officer is and make sure you know that only they have the authority to make changes. Even the things that may seem simple, like clauses or or government property or the the delivery location some of the some of that may be able to be changed by the contracting officer's representative but when in doubt just ask the contracting officer send a note and say hey just letting you know the core told me to do this and i'm going to go ahead unless i hear otherwise right just ask up front it's it's uh, that simple question can alleviate hours and hours and weeks and months of pain later If you think you've been directed to do something by someone other than the contracting officer, ask for the official direction or the official stop. Don't, don't do that. (laughs) The official no, please don't do that. Right. (laughs) All right, Kevin, with that, I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the contracting officer podcast. If you're confused about the authority or the apparent authority of someone who was given direction or apparent direction on one of your contracts, Skyway's team of former contracting officers can help you avoid mistakes that cost your company time and money. Visit SkywayACQ.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280 to learn more about our training and custom consulting for situations just like these. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.